0: I'm just reading a couple of verses out of a familiar passage of scripture to you this morning, and I don't intend to be long, but uh, I want to share just what God has given me for this service today. By the way, if you weren't here on Wednesday night, you missed it. All I can say is, wow, wow, what a great service! And. Uh, You never know what will happen at Rubyville, do you? And we're thankful for that. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, let's just look at verses 50 and 51. I'll reference some other verses here this morning in the message, but 1 Samuel chapter 17 verses 50 and 51. So David prevailed over the Philistine. Let me pause. That Philistine's name was Goliath, and you realize that he was a giant, and There was a race of people who were giants and he being one of the giants that Israel faced and David's willingness to face this giant. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and smote the Philistine and slew him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore, David ran and stood upon the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of the sheath thereof, and slew him, and cut off his head therewith. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. Israel was in a unique position in the fact that they were facing not only an army, but the leader of that army was a giant. And you know, we all face giants. I mentioned at the beginning of this message 21 years ago, this country faced a giant that even though many had thought that it was taken care of, suddenly a giant appeared and nearly 3,000 lives were lost on that day and perished because of that time of terror. And we realized we had an enemy, not only for America, but all around the world. The world has now fought that enemy. So countries can face a giant. Our country, along with so many others all around the world, a little over two years faced an invisible giant called COVID. And that giant has swept through our land and swept around the world, snatching up the lives of individuals and leaving its mark in many homes all across the world. And we all know the effects of it. A giant can come to a country at any time. The giant can be economic. It can be a moral giant. It can be a giant of war and devastation. I've been in countries that their giant is poverty and it's terrible to watch people live in such such low, low means and, and not have the basic needs of life. We can face a giant as a country. Churches face giants. There are giants that attack churches. It comes constantly. It's in the New Testament. There were giants that would arise within the church. We know that the letters that Paul wrote to many of the churches was because giants were coming up. Giants of false doctrine and unbelief and false teachings. Giants of immorality. Giants of straying from the word of God. Those giants appeared and attacked a church. If you don't believe that giants can attack a church, then you're just not looking very far back in history. There have been great, great churches that were used by God to reach thousands of people for the cause of Christ, that now they're barely open and some of them are even closed because giants attack that church. Giants will attack a church. Giants would love to attack this church Every church has giants. This church has giants here right now because it is a constant battle. If you don't wanna be in a spiritual battle, then just stay out of the church. But once you get saved and you're part of the church, you just might as well face it, you're gonna to have to face some giants in life. But then, as not only as a country and as a church do we face giants, but as a Christian we face giants. Individually, We all face giants, it's different in nature, different in size, but simply put, it is bigger than us, greater than us, stronger than us, and by ourselves we cannot defeat it. We all face giants, giants of disease, giants of struggle and strife, giants of betrayal, giants of pain, Giants of job, job loss. Giants sometimes of divorce. Giants of families leaving one another. Every Sunday, I preach to people right here in this church that have family members that haven't spoken to them for years and they're not even sure is the reason why. You face giants as an individual. Now, if nothing else I said has got your attention, I believe this next statement will get it probably two or three weeks ago, I had a meeting with an individual and the individual was facing a giant. And the individual said, Preacher, I wish you'd pray that God would take away all this pain, all of this problems that I'm facing, all the sickness that I'm facing. I ask that you pray that God would make my life free of any problem or trouble. And I said, are you sure you want me to pray that? And they looked at me surprised and said, yes, I'm sure. I said, so you're wanting me to pray that you die? And they said, pardon? I said, well, if you're ever gonna be completely free from death and heartache and sorrow and disease, you're gonna have to die and meet the Lord because you might as well face the reality of all of it. As long as you are in this world, you'll struggle against the world. As long as you're in this flesh, you'll struggle against the flesh. And as long as we live in a world that is controlled by evil, we'll battle evil. There's a day coming where we'll be free from all of that. but we're not there yet. But the giants face us in life. You may be facing a giant today that seems bigger than you, and that's why that God's directed me to point out just a few things to you. When the giant appears, what options do you have? Well, there's just a couple of things you can do if you're facing the giant in fear. One thing is you can cower, and second, you can cover. That's exactly what they were doing as a nation. 40 days this giant had come out Declaring give me a man And for 40 days they cowered down in fear If you're not careful you'll let fear overcome you when you face giants Now sometimes we look back in our life And we know what God has done But still with the present reality of a giant Sometimes we have this overwhelming urge If I can just go into hiding if I can just cower down, if I can just stay in the house and never come out, if I can just move to a deserted island somewhere. Oh, it sounds like some of you have faced giants and felt that way. Well, that's one of the options you have. But the other thing you can do, you can come out of hiding. You can also confront the giant And thank God, by the help of God, you can conquer the giant. If you're facing a giant today, I wanna remind you, there is no power on this earth that is greater than the power of God that abides within us to face every giant that will ever come against, and we can find victory because of the Lord and through the Lord and in the name of the Lord. What does it take to kill a giant? Now you may not be facing a giant now, but you will. What does it take to kill a giant? For time's sake, let me just mention three or four real quick. One thing that it takes is consecration. Consecration. We read about it in David's life in the previous chapter that I read to you in. And that was when Samuel took his horn of oil and he went out to anoint the next king. And he went out to anoint the next king. And you know, he went to the sons of Jesse and the seven sons of Jesse passed before him. And he said, is there not another? And they go and bring David who's been watching the sheep. He's young and he he just seems like, to look at him like he is so incapable of the task before him. But yet we find that Samuel takes the horn of oil and he anoints David, that's the consecration. He anoints David and the Bible says that more than oil was poured out on David that day because when he anoints David, we read in the 13th verse that when he was anointed uh, of, of Samuel in chapter 16 and verse 13, that the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forth. In other words, the Spirit came for the direct purpose of empowering David to do the task that was set before him. So one thing David knew, that by himself he could not do it. But since the anointing of the Lord had come upon him, He was able to do things that he had never been able to do before. It's like all of us when we're converted. We feel like we can't live the Christian life and we can't do what's right. And we try, you try to quit your habits, you try to stop sinning, and you just can't seem to find victory. But then when conversion comes and you're born again by the Spirit of God, then suddenly there is a power that comes over you and you realize, I can't do it, but I. I know someone who can. I know someone who can give me power to do what I'm not able to do myself. So the first thing it takes is consecration. Now, a lot of people use that word interchangeably with the word sanctification. And really, in a sense of the word, they are the same because that means to dedicate or to declare holy and sanctification is to set apart. But yet we know in Exodus when the priests were anointed that God told them they were to do two things when they were anointed. They anointed them and they said, consecrate him as the priest and sanctify him as the priest. You say, well, how does that anointing come? I think that it's a twofold process but the two are. Connected. It won't work unless the two are not together. If we look at sanctification, that is the self emptying of our will. That is the self denial. That is us laying ourselves down and crucifying ourselves for the glory of God, saying, His will is my will. So it is self emptying. But not only is it an emptying, but through consecration, there is a filling. Because once we empty ourselves, then we are at a state. Of holiness that we can enter into the holiness of God, where God then can fill us with His Spirit to perform the task that is set before us. So He's anointed. The next thing is is confession. He makes a couple of confessions. First, he confesses what the Lord has already done for him. When you get to verse thirty-seven in this particular passage we realize that he's now before the king and the king has a problem understanding. Saul can't figure out how such, how such a meager boy could face such a great giant. And he tells him the reason why. He said, the Lord hath delivered me out of the pawl of the lion and out of the pawl of the bear. He will deliver me out of the hand of the Philistine. Amen. Did you get that? He said God has done it in the past and God is the same God right now that he was in the past. He's my God and the same God that delivered me when I faced the bear and when I faced the lion. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want to take on a bear single-handedly. I wouldn't want to take on a lion single-handedly. But God, through the power of the Holy Ghost, through the Spirit of God, gives us the ability to face giants, so he said, God did it in the past, God can do it right now, and God will do it in the future. And he said, I wanna declare this, that I know he will deliver me out of the hand of the Philistine. What is in your mouth is so powerful. When you start to speak the word of God, words of life and death are in your mouth, It's through our confession of the fact that God has done it before. And hallelujah, God will do it again. But not only do we see the confession of what the Lord has done for him in the past. Can I pause just, just for 15 seconds? Has God done anything for you in the past? I mean, have you ever faced a giant in the past and God slew the giant for you? Evidently, you forgot about it because if you remembered, I think there'd be some folks right now just feeling an urge inside of them to get on their feet and say, Lord, I know what you've done for me in the past. You have watched over me and provided for me and done the impossible and slew the giants. What he did in the past. And by the way, when you get to verse 45, He says this is how he's going to do it in the present. David said to the Philistine, thou comest to me with, with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord. He's confessing, it's not me. I am coming to you, giant, in the name of the Lord. As long as you are doing it in the name of science, it's not the name of the Lord. He didn't come in the name of education, in the name of the Lord. He didn't come in the name of the ability of great power. He's already turned down the armor of Saul and he's chosen the meekest of weapons. But that's all that you need if you come in the name of the Lord. No prayers are answered if it's not in the name of the Lord. No miracles are performed if it's not in the name of the Lord. No salvation comes about if it's not in the name of the Lord. For with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. And if we cannot confess that he is Lord and confess that he has all power, then we limited his ability to forgive us of our sins and to change our life. Confession. Now, let me ask you this. Are you facing a giant today? Or do you believe you'll face a giant in the future? How many of you believe that? Then you better get the word settled in your heart. Well, how do I settle the word? By what you confess. Look at me, it's easy. Confess this, I am a giant killer. I am a giant killer, don't get in my way. I'll run over you in a in minute. I am a giant killer. Cancer, hear me, I am I am a giant killer. Yeah. Disease, hear me. I am a giant killer hear me, I am a giant killer, all the evil in all the world, every demon that has ever come out of hell, hear us and hear us good, I am a giant killer, I come to you in the name of the Lord, and I am a giant killer, confession. I see it constantly. People come, they wanna be prayed for. Pray, pray. We can pray the prayer of faith, but you have to exhibit faith in your life. You come, you pray. You'll say, well, we'll see if it's the will of God. We'll wait and see what happens. You love to leave that doubt hanging. You love to leave that. I better move on. I'm meddling now. It takes consecration. It takes confession. It takes courage. Real courage. We read in verse 48. Notice how he words it. He's coming to him in the name of the Lord. Verse 48, when it came to pass, when the Philistine arose, now he's called the enemy out now. Always before the enemy was calling him out. But he's coming to the enemy now. And if you think that that's an exaggeration, look out, look out, how the, the Philistine, that's Goliath, the giant He rises, He draws out his sword, draws nigh to meet David brother. and David hasted. Hmm. David hasted, and what did he do? Ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. He said, I've got courage. I'm running at you, not from you. I'm running toward you. Not away, everybody before David ran the opposite direction. They ran and took cover. They were terrified, but here he comes along and he runs toward the giant. That takes courage. He tells us, I believe with that in mind in Psalm 27, as he ends that Psalm when he said, wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. It takes courage. David knew a little bit about courage. He faced courage throughout his entire life. Not only courage to face this giant, but there was other things that he knew at times he had to find courage. If you're gonna be a giant killer, you've gotta find courage in the Lord. You remember when they came back to Ziglag in chapter 30 of this same book, when they got to Ziglag, they had taken all of their wives, all of the women, had taken the families into captivity, had burnt everything and destroyed everything and the people were distressed and as they were distressed they were saying we think we ought to stone David that's what we ought to do They, they have let everything fall and they're blaming David for their inadequacy to face the real enemy and the people being ready to stone David you'll find out that the Bible says David didn't have anyone to say, good job, king. You're doing the right thing. Way to go. Nobody was there to pat him on the back, but the Bible says David encouraged himself in the Lord. To encourage means to put courage in. He put courage in his heart saying I've got the Lord on my side. He knows that God is with him and when you have courage to face your giant that's when defeat will come. Let me give you one more thing. If you wanna be a giant killer what it takes is consecration. It takes confession. It takes courage and it takes a covenant. Now, why did David have this supernatural courage? He knew the spear of the Lord was on him. He knew what God had done in the past. And I'm not gonna labor this point, but I hope that you see what he's portraying here in the Word. He's facing this giant. His father has sent him with food for his brothers that are in the battle with Saul, but he's been tending the sheep. When he comes with the supplies, and there he is watching the people that he looked up to cower down. Doesn't that bother you? When people that used to stand for stuff are a coward now? <laughs> I mean, these were the people that should have been teaching him. These were the people that he had looked up to. But now they're hiding from the enemy. They're terrified. And suddenly, we see David running toward him. Why? Because of what happened in chapter 16. He was anointed. Why was he anointed? To be. I'm sorry, I couldn't hear you. To be. I'm sorry, I'm having hearing problems today. To be. King. King. Is he king? in this passage yet? Saul's still living. Saul is still the king. He's anointed to be king, you're not getting it. He couldn't die if he wanted to. God anointed him to be king. God had to take care of him because God gave him a covenant with the anointing. You're gonna be a king. You are more than conquerors. And here he is saying, I'm facing this giant. I'm not the king yet. And there's a great lesson to this. Hey, if you want something to write down, something to take home with you, this is a good thing. David's not king yet. He's still a kid. There's a king in every kid. But later on, we see that David becomes childish again. When he becomes king, there's also a kid in every king. So here he is saying, I'm still a kid. I'm not the king. I haven't finished what God gave me to do. I've not finished the job yet. If I've not finished the job yet and God made a covenant to me, then I know that I'm not done because God would already have promoted me to be king. Can I tell you this? Jesus is the greatest giant killer of all. And according to the book of Hebrews, the Bible says in Hebrews 8, 6, Jesus is a mediator of a better covenant. And the Bible says in chapter 13 and verse 20 of Hebrews that he, Jesus, through his blood, we have an everlasting covenant. I could preach this morning. Can I tell you why you're a giant killer if you're a Christian? Because you're a covenant kid. He's not finished with you yet. If he was finished with you, you'd be in heaven. You're still here. While you're here, he's got something for you to do. There's a purpose in your life. There's a plan for your life. There's an anointing on your life. The Lord said, I'm showing you what it needs to be, so don't let the giant stop you. That giant's not going to kill you. Why? Because I am a giant killer. I am a giant killer. Is there anyone else today that can make that confession? I am A giant killer. Time for you to come. Time for you to confess. Time for you to say, Lord, you're the almighty with all power. I confess, Lord, you're the one in your name. Lord, I give this to you. Be a giant killer. Do you have the consecration that it takes? Are you standing on the covenant? Do you have the confession in your mouth? Be a giant killer. Maybe you've got all the other, but you lack one thing. Courage. See, it's easy. As you go in the journey, all of us, as we go in the journey It gets easier to do what David did. Oh, did I tell you? In this passage, David runs to the giant. At the end of his life, he runs from the giant. Putting in his time, taking up space, waiting for the end to come. Sometimes what we need is courage. We need that more than anything. I know where you can find courage today. Find your promise in his word. And he'll give you courage. He'll give you strength. He'll encourage your heart.